Hey, welcome everybody to our live Sunday here, four o'clock on the west coast of the United States of America. It's great to see all of you online. I think we're going to have a good time tonight. I'm going to try to connect the dots. Uh, listen, we are in the Minor Prophets. We are in the uh, book of Obadiah. And uh, this is the second message in Obadiah. The title is, The Clock is Ticking, as you know, because you're on YouTube, so you can already see what the title of the message is. So, a few things just to bring you up to date. The last time I saw you, I believe my neighborhood was on fire and I was evacuated. Uh, so the house is still standing. Rain came, a, a huge storm came. Apparently there was a hurricane down near Baja, California, in Mexico, came up through San Diego, and it uh, pretty much put out the fire um, problem we were having in, in uh, the area that we live in. Uh, so th thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord for all of your prayers out there. And also I want to give a shout out to Calvary Chapel, The Rock in Santa Rosa, uh, so I was up there last week, and um, it was just a great time. I was up there Friday, Saturday, Sunday with Brandon Holthouse, Don Perkins, Olivier Melnick, and myself. And I'm going to tell you, if you're looking for a church in the Northern California area and Santa Rosa is close enough with Pastor Ross and Tony and the rest of the crew and Ben, uh, just, what a fantastic church. Uh, I mean, it is, it is really just, just a, a great church. Great worship, great word, wonderful people. Um, so I would check it out. And by the way, I didn't get paid a penny for saying that. I'm being totally serious. Uh, it was really a blessing being up there. My first time ever that I've ever stayed in that area. I've lived in California all my life, but we're separated by like hundreds and hundreds of miles. Uh, so, uh, but it was a, really a blessing up there. Up there in the world, not far from the Silicon Valley, uh, but just having this life of Jesus up there. Uh, totally cool. I also want to thank uh, Kurt Reed and Monkey for filling in for me last Sunday night. And then also Pablo had both of his guests on Monday and Tuesday. Thank you, Pablo, uh, so much. I believe you had Eric and then also Brandon on Tuesday. Uh, thank you, Pablo. Um, and uh, just great to have brothers like that, to, like you guys that can fill in for me uh, whenever. And um, exciting things. Okay. Real quick, you can download the Hope For Our Times app. It is free to download. And uh, check this out. Mark your calendars two weeks from tonight. Finally got everything coordinated. And let me tell you, it is a lot of work behind the scenes for all the tech people that were working on Hillary and Matthew and the rest, uh, trying to get everything up and going. Um, so you can download the Hope For Our Times app two weeks from tonight. So I think it's October 2nd. We're going to be able to start on YouTube and then just be live uh, on the app. We're going to have a number you can call in with your questions. It's going to be a trial run. We're pretty confident it's going to work. And then once we're able to do that, uh, we'll still be on Roku. We'll be on all those places that don't center us. But obviously, YouTube and Facebook are not real friendly um, with, uh, with some of the things that are shared out there now. So uh, we'll be able to post live right from our app to all these other venues going to be off the chart. So if you watch on your TV, you'll still be able to watch on your TV if you got like Roku and so forth. Uh, but we'll still be on YouTube as long as they don't kick us off. And if we do get kicked off, just go with that. In fact, tonight, if for some reason, I don't think I will, uh, but if we get censored at any time, just go to the app. We'll still be live on the app and people can watch on the app right now. You can check it out uh, if you want. Uh, so go over there. It is free. Um, I am going to be speaking with Don Perkins in San Diego, California in a few weeks. I believe it's October 16, 17, and 18. That's a Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. So I'll still be at my church on Sunday morning for all those of you who are from our church wondering where I'll be. They're all evenings in San Diego, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. Uh, if I can, I'm going to do a Sunday night live. I might have to do it from the conference with Don Perkins for that night, or if not, I'll have Kurt or... Um, Pablo or somebody else fill in for me, or maybe Pete Garcia fill in for me that night if I can't. But I'll give you more info. That's still a few weeks out. Um, I'm excited to be here. Let me see what else I got going on here. Oh, yeah, got this. So Dennis Swick is going to be my guest on his channel this Thursday. I thought he was going to be on a few weeks ago. I had my wires crossed, and then I missed the last couple of weeks because of the fire and so forth. 
Uh, but I'm going to be on his channel this Thursday. Uh, check it out, hischannel.com. My guest is going to be Dennis Wick. We're going to be talking about technology. Send me your tech questions. Don't get, don't get weird questions, but really good questions. Questions that make sense as we look at this, this uh, transhumanist world. And speaking of, before we get going into Obadiah, just a quick update, just a couple of things I want to share with you. Uh, this first one is from Agenda Weekly with Curtis Bowers, and he's writing about this. Uh, you probably have seen this article or something like it, Normalizing Brain Chips, the New Trans Movement. What's the new trans movement? It's the transhumanist movement. Isn't it interesting? All these different terms, and now trans, so we go from transgender now to transhumanist. So it seems like a play of the devil to get us going from one thing to another and just kind of get, start accepting it. So think of this, uh, Curtis Bowers, Agenda Weekly, on September 12, many of you already know this, this last Monday, a week ago tomorrow, uh, Biden signed the National Biotechnology and Biomanufacturing Initiative. The executive order shockingly states, we need to develop genetic engineering technologies and techniques to be able to write circuitry for cells and predictability program biology in the same way in which we write software and program computers. Unlock the power of biological data, including through computing tools and artificial intelligence, and advance the science of scale-up production while reducing the obstacles for commercialization so that innovative technologies and products can reach markets faster. Okay, so what does all this mean? This is a problem. Patrick Wood comments, it virtually guarantees that transhumanism and genetic manipulation of citizens will be the main topic of the 2024 election cycle. Pharmaceutical analyst and former Pfizer employee Karen Kingston said, let me read between the lines for America. Biden's September 12 executive order declares that Americans must surrender all human rights that stand in the way of transhumanism. I want you to think of that. So you start thinking of Revelation chapter 13. Listen, people out there, they, they say that people like us, you and me, we, we've lost our minds, we're nuts, there's all conspiracy theory, we're, there's never going to be a mark of the beast, there's never going to be this transhumanist stuff. I remember talking about the transhumanist stuff quite some time ago. Now they're saying it's here, and if you don't comply, you're done. Uh, she continues and says, clinical trial safety standards and informed consent will be eradicated as they stand in the way of universally unleashing gene editing technologies needed to merge humans with artificial intelligence in order to achieve the societal goals of the new world order. Crimes against humanity are not only legal, but mandatory. So listen, all you got to do is go back several years and start listening to Yuval Noah Harari, the things he's been saying, read the, the Great Reset by, what's his name, Klaus Schwab. You start realizing, wait a minute, they've been telling us this stuff. Well, now it's coming, and the President of the United States signed an executive order saying, you have no choice. He signed it last Monday. This is remarkable. Freedom First News Network notes, for years now, many of us have been warning that the, the, uh, the okay, I, I might get censored here, so I gotta be careful. If I do, just go over the app. Uh, for years now, many of us have been warning that certain, you know, things, you know, think of, you know, shots, uh, are connected with transhumanist nightmare. With discussions about 5G um, and some other things, which is part of the foundation of quantum computing. I can't say everything, still being a little bit careful, two more weeks of being careful and artificial intelligence, all in relation to the, you know what, we've all been labeled wild tinfoil hat conspiracy theories, uh, conspiracy theorists. It's all just a, I can't say it again, um, this is wrong. Uh, by the way, check out these articles here. I'm gonna leave them up here only for a second. I'm gonna get out of here. Leo Holman always has good stuff. Check out those, take a screenshot. I'm moving away from that, okay. Uh, I needed to move away from that because there's too many things on there that are going to get me in trouble. Okay, so let's move on to a couple more things. Um, check this out. A couple more things, and we're getting into Obadiah, then I'm going to take your questions. This is by Damon Duck a week ago, not his article today. Uh, but I'm, I'm, listen, I am behind on things. Oh, by the way, tomorrow, 
Live with me is going to be Lee Brainerd. We're going to be talking about, I'm going to ask him, is the rapture real? Uh, how do you know it's pre-trib rapture, not post-trib, not pre-wrath rapture? What about our friends and colleagues that say we're all wrong on pre-trib? Um, where's our hope? We're going to be talking about that because I know people got a lot of questions. Pre-trib, pre-wrath, post-trib, mid-trib. When is the rapture going to happen? We're already in the tribulation period. Um, where is our hope? On down the list. All right? So that's tomorrow live uh, with Lee Brainerd. Okay. Damon Duck wrote, this is a week ago. Uh, it was recently reported that the World Economic Forum wants a system of people and artificial intelligence, that'd be uh, computers that are programmed to think like humans, to track and censor misinformation and hate speech all over the world. So you got transhumanism, and then you also have tracking us, right? According to the report, Twitter only monitors information on Twitter, Facebook on Facebook. Uh, people that speak English are unable to monitor in French and Spanish, and so forth. So the WEF wants a system of people in AI that can track and censor misinformation and hate speech from every source and in every language on the earth. A person, group, or whatever that is flagged for wrong think, think of George Orwell, 1984, will be automatically censored on every system and in every language on earth. This is a proposal now, but students of Bible prophecy can easily see where this global system could wind up. I mean, you look at this, you, you can't make this stuff up. This is not sci-fi anymore. The Bible said, listen, this is what it's going to look like. When God told us what it was going to look like, it was so that we could understand. We could watch, we could be ready, we wouldn't lose heart. We go, well, wait a minute. God said it's going to look exactly like that. That's exactly what it looks like. I'm okay with it. By the way, before I read the rest of this and then get into Obadiah, please hear me out for just a second on this, all right? Don't lose hope. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. And again, we're going to talk about the rapture tomorrow, Lee Brainerd and myself, but please understand this. We don't know when the rapture is going to happen. And I, I get so many emails now, people telling me, listen, September 24th is it, or September 25th, we have Rosh Hashanah coming. Um, uh, and I'm getting dates off the charts right now. Uh, people saying it's got to be this year, it's going to be this year. Okay, let me ask you this. How disheartened will you be if you're still here on October 1st? Um, I, and the, the a problem with the date setting, it really builds up your anxiety, and it can also cause you to really become weak in your faith. I don't believe a person can lose their salvation if they're genuinely saved. But if, you're, if you get too much, you're too caught up on the timing of the rapture, man, it can become a great discouragement because there's so many voices out there right now that are saying, it's this week, it's next week, it's the week after. What if you're here in five years? Don't say that, Tom. Listen, I'm just saying, all right? I I'm, I'm much more care about your strength and your stability and having faith uh, until Jesus comes instead of, uh, man, you can just get turned like a roller coaster uh, if we, we keep looking at dates and so forth. So be encouraged. Let's be about our Father's business sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with everybody that we possibly can. Listen, we could be raptured tomorrow. Uh, it's imminent. I don't know when it's going to take place. It's going to happen, um, but it might not. It, it might not happen for a while. And, and I think just being well-prepared, being solid in our mind, in, in, the, in the word, is going to do us wonders. It's going to strengthen us. But we continue to watch anyway because we can see everything converging. The things we see converging remind us Jesus is calling us home, but we just don't know when. All right, so let's keep reading this. So Damon Duck, in this article, he's talking about the wrong think uh, of uh, borrowing the word from George Orwell's 1984. He says, uh, and we understand this, all the censoring, all the monitoring, you're not going to be able to say anything you shouldn't say and so forth. Just had the other article that I was reading from Curtis Bowers uh, about transhumanism. Um, and then Damon Duck talks about central bank digital currencies and the cashless society. He, he quotes an article from Zero Hedge that was posted. Uh, uh, Zero Hedge uh, where it was an interview with uh, James Rickards. By the way, I watched, he's one of the guys I watch on YouTube, James Rickards. Listen, I watch a lot of these finance guys that are not necessarily believers in Christ but they can give you insight to things like central bank digital currency. 
They can tell you where the economy is going, what the plans really are. And you look at them and you go, this is absolutely amazing because all these things are lining up with the Bible. He writes, the U.S., this is from the Zero Hedge article with James Rickards, the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank and MIT are developing a U.S. CBDC. So CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, uh, now and are expected to complete the development phase soon. And then he writes, uh, he says, James Rickard says, cash won't exist. They're going to eliminate, it's a, this is about control, and that might sound fearful, but what does the Bible teach? So we gotta go back to what the Bible says, and then we go, okay, I'm gonna be okay, I'm one of God's children, I'm on his side. Okay, now, then after this, Damon Duck, he, we're gonna get over to Israel in just a minute because of Obadiah. He talks about the 10 kings, the 10 regions of the last days. He wrote some things in there about the, about the 10 regions. I totally agree with him. I've been saying this for years. Uh, if you've seen me before, James Cadiz, we had a little bit of an argument over the 10 kings of the last days and uh, James and some of the others. Uh, uh, they're traditional pre-trib thinking. It's um, the 10 kings come out of, the, it's all these 10 European regions and then they control the world. I've been saying for years, uh, in fact, it was uh, J. Vernon McGee said it a long time ago, it's gonna be 10 regions globally. Think of the globe and the world divided into 10 regions. This has been proposed for decades, I believe even centuries now, and it seems that everything is going that way, so much so that I'm gonna do a video on this uh, within the next couple of, uh, uh, within the next two weeks uh, to post for you guys, because I'm watching it. Here's what I know, Daniel chapter seven is very clear. Before Antichrist comes on the scene, these 10 kings are gonna be in place. So if that's the case, I'll show you when I do that video. Um, if that's the case, that means we should watch this form. Baby, we're watching a form, um, but it's, it's global. Uh, Damon Duck writes, this will make it easier to merge the regions into a one world government. He quotes an article from uh, Jerry Ugering, did a fantastic article uh, with a video from Alex Newman. The video from Alex Newman is outstanding. He certainly seems to know what's going on. Um, but Duck, Duck goes on and says, in 2015, January of 2015, a group called the World Economic Forum, who we all know now, met in Davos, Switzerland. These globalists agreed to speed up the development of regions of nations all over the world. Speeding up the development of regions of nations will require the nations to speed up the surrender of their national sovereignty. All right, so you see what's happening to America? No, this is about a global movement. That's what's happening here. But then he quotes uh, Jerry Ungering and also the video of Alex Newman. Newman says, the deep state is taking a pause on globalization and moving the agenda forward with regionalization. As I understand it, Newman was saying the deep state will create regions of nations before they merge them into a world government. This is exactly what Daniel chapter seven teaches. There's going to be this regions, the 10 kings. Uh, also Revelation chapter 17, right? You have the 10 kings who give their power and authority to the beast. So the 10 kings, the 10 regions must exist before antichrist comes on the scene. What, we, what you and I are watching right now is the whole setup. It's like Satan is making sure he's got all of his globalist minions setting things, everything up. Once it's set up, then Antichrist is going to appear on the scene. Then they're gonna crown their king, uh, the, the one who is against Christ. That's why you see Yuval Noah Harari with his blasphemous words. You can't believe in a God above the clouds. We've created the clouds with technology. The Microsoft cloud, the Apple cloud, all of that. That's, that's uh, Yuval Noah Harari. So you see this kind of talk it's because everything is being prepared for Antichrist, but these 10 regions, the way I read it, Daniel 7, Revelation 17, these 10 regions have to be here before Antichrist comes on the scene, and it is just fascinating, these days that we live in. Um, then Duck writes this, uh, thank God for the rapture, but woe to those that are left behind when many people will have a reprobate mind and evil is no longer restrained. All right, so look at that. And like the title of the message for this post, uh, this video with you guys is the clock is ticking. And man, it is ticking, right? But again, before we go further, we're, now we're gonna look at Israel and Obadiah. Before we go further, 
I really want you to be encouraged and be, be really solid in your mind and understand what the word says. We don't know the timing of the rapture. We can see everything coming together, but we've really got to be faithful. People need to know Jesus Christ. We need to share the Lord with other people. Uh, we need to be that salt and light. Uh, we, we, we need to um, be about our Father's business. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter writes, in the last day scoffers will come, saying, where's the promise of his coming, uh, and, and so forth, right? He also goes on and says, God's desire is that none should perish. What manner of conduct ought we to be in holiness and righteousness, right? So as we see these things, we want to not get all holed up and afraid. That's the opposite of what we're supposed to be. We need to be out there. You see people. You share the Lord with them. You might get rejected. That's okay. But you know what? We don't want to be cowering in fear and say, I'm just going to wait here until the rapture takes place. No, no, no. We're going to move forward. We're going to march forward. We don't know the day or the hour. All right? Okay. With that, let's look at this. Look at this article. This from the Jerusalem Post. Tell me this doesn't smack of Ezekiel chapter 38. Russia, Turkey, Iran, China showcase going ties at Confab Analysis says. Uh, so this is interesting. You have China in the mix with this. Um, China is not part of the Ezekiel 38 coalition. Uh, China is another story. I've talked about that many times. I will again in the future. But man, what do you see with Russia, Turkey, and Iran? Certainly the lining up. And then this is a big story here. Also regarding Israel, and the reason I have these two stories is because we're looking at Israel for the next few minutes. Uh, this is from All Israel News, jo uh, uh, Joel Rosenberg's publication. Does the arrival of five red heifers in Israel signal third temple end times? Um, some of you have sent me the video, uh, uh, videos of uh, this Texas ranch. I've seen them online. Been following the red heifers for years, back when Chuck Missler used to talk about them back in the 1990s. Um, so I follow the story of the red heifers. They'd come and go and come and go. They always find a white hair. All right, so Jewish tradition says uh, that there's only going to be 10 red heifers. Uh, in the, last, the 10th red heifer will be the last one so far throughout biblical history. So you've got to go way back. There were nine. Has been a red heifer uh, in uh, like 2,000 years now. Um, what's the purpose of the red heifer? I'll, I'll, listen, I'm going to detail all the reasons why with the red heifer. I want us all to be educated on it and understand it. So I'll do that in a post this week. I'll probably do that for uh, Wednesday or Thursday this week. But go into the understanding of the red heifer, why it's important, is it important, and so forth. But So there's five red heifers. If there's only going to be a tenth one, four of these red heifers are going to turn out to be no good. Uh, any kind of blemish, I think it's two white hairs and so forth then they're no good. But a, a red heifer is needed for the purification of the temple. So, so you, you see these red heifers. Uh, some of you probably saw also the videos as they arrived at Ben-Gurion Airport. Um, and then they were taken over to a 10-day quarantine just the other day. I mean, you look, and I, I posted a video just the other day on the train going from the Ben-Gurion Airport to Jerusalem uh, with the intent to take people to the temple when they build the temple. So everything is pressing toward that. I mean, you got the red heifers. Whether or not one of these five turns out to be the one, I don't know. Again, I'll talk, I wanna go into details with us on, uh, on Wednesday so, or, or Thursday, so I'm gonna wait until then to do that, all right? But you look at this, you look at Israel. It's all eyes on Israel. You have uh, Russia, Iran, Turkey forming their alliance. We have the peace plan we're going to get into in just a, a few more minutes. You have the red heifers, all eyes on Israel. So with everything else going on in the world, man, can we see that the clock is ticking. In fact, when you look at you think of a clock, what do you think? When you understand Bible prophecy, Jerusalem is the second hand. So it's right there. The Temple Mount, as you start thinking of a target, the Temple Mount is the bullseye. Folks, everything is going there. The red heifers, the train, the peace plan. All of it heading straight to the Temple Mount, where that temple is going to be. Okay, with that being said, I know that was a lot already. Let's get going for our time, for my time remaining, and then, um, and then I'm going to take your questions. So in Obadiah, we've been in Obadiah, so uh, I'm not going to update too much on that, because um, I already did Obadiah Part 1. 
Uh, next week, I have a guest on me. We're going to be with me. We're going to be talking about Obadiah. The week after that, I'll wrap up the book of Obadiah. Uh, but we think of this. There's tw only 21 verses in the book of Obadiah, one of the shortest books in the entire Bible. It's packed with details of the past and the present, and also the future of Israel and even the future of the world. The, so the background of the book of Obadiah is in regards to the people of Edom and their hatred for Israel uh, and their attempt and their desire to cut off Israel to eliminate the Jewish people. But it's also a reminder of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God tells Abram, remember this, I will bless those who bless thee, I will curse those who curse thee. So what happens here in this short book of Obadiah, Edom curses Israel and God is going to pay them back. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 will be fulfilled in, uh, in uh, Edom with the people of Edom. But who are the people of Edom? Okay, this is from last time, um, just to bring us all into this story. So Bill Salas notes in his excellent work on the subject, uh, when it, you try to define who is Edom, who are the people of Edom, or who were they, he writes... Palestinian is the ethnic label tossed about loosely in the modern times to identify three primary, predominantly Arab groups of people, the Palestinians of the Gaza Strip, the Palestinians of the West Bank, and the Palestinian refugees. These groups inhabit the territories that most closely approach the borders of modern-day Israel with pocket communities in the surrounding Arab nations. We generally understand that these three groups are comprised of a mixture of peoples who descend from various regions, one of these being traceable back to Esau, the father of the Edomites. As we'll see here in Obadiah in just a minute, God uses the term Esau and Edom. He interchanges them, right? Uh, the same concept. Uh, he con he uh, continues, unlike the Jewish people, who all share a common lineage traceable to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Palestinians have no common historical distinct link. Their genealogies can be traced back to the Edomites, Egyptians, Assyrians, Philistines, Sidonians, Ammonites, Moabites, Yemenites, just to name a few. Uh, with that, the last time we saw the pride of Edom, uh, this time today we're going to see the pain that Edom has caused. Okay, so you ready? Let's get into this, and then we're going to look at a little bit more history, and then we're going to project to where we are right now, and I'm going to take your questions. In, in Obadiah, well, it's only one chapter long, verse, four, verse 10, God says this, thinking of the pain Edom has caused. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. You shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Uh, you should have not entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. So what God is saying is here, here's what happened. You saw your brother Jacob. So this goes back to the time of Esau. So when Esau and Jacob were born, Esau was the older brother, Jacob's the younger brother. They were twins. What were they, a minute apart? I don't know. Uh, but Jacob was uh, holding on to um, Esau's heel when he was born. So Esau, Esau came out first and then Jacob came out second. So they're brothers. So the whole region of the Mideast, they're brothers. That's what God calls them. These are your brothers. So you know, Jew and, and Arab over there. It's in that concept, right? And God says, okay, this is what you did. While Judah was being destroyed by an enemy, I think uh, this is probably a reference to um, the uh, Babylonians, because uh, Obadiah came after the Babylonian destruction. So I think it's a reference to the uh, Babylonian destruction of Judah. Um, at least I believe Obadiah came after the destruction of Judah. Uh, some commentators say no, it was much earlier than that, and it was before the destruction of Judah by the Babylonians. But I believe it was. So either way, uh, Edom is looking down. Their brother is looking down, saying they're rejoicing. 
because Israel is being destroyed. They're rejoicing because Jews are being slaughtered. They're rejoicing because other Jews are being taken captive. They're rejoicing all over. And then they go into the camp of Israel, into Jerusalem, and they start to raid it and go, woo-hoo! And God says, you rejoiced over it? You watched? You, you were hoping for it? You thought it was great to see them slaughtered? He goes, you're evil. Even though God says, I used Nebuchadnezzar to come against my people, you don't rejoice over another person's destruction. Indeed, you should not have gazed on, his, on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. In other words, they even went into Jerusalem and stole their stuff that was left behind. Wow. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off the, uh, those among who, them who escaped. So as Jews were fleeing Jerusalem to get out, there were people of Edom, Esau, their brother, who stood in the way, said, you're not getting past us until the Babylonians could come and catch them and slaughter them. Wow, this is evil. Nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. There's some behind that go, hey, we caught some more. They're over here. Here, you can have them, Nebuchadnezzar. Take them and slaughter them. Uh, do, do whatever you want. Um, so you look at this and you think, man, this is evil that they did such a thing. It's also a reminder when you look at the the uh, um, Old Testament, and you know the story of Esau and Jacob. And as they grew a little bit older, Esau sold the spiritual birthright for a bowl of stew. Remember that? So again, Esau associated with Edom. The Edomites are the people of Esau, the descendants of Esau, just like the, the Jewish Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, right? So they're the descendants of birthright. He sold it to his brother Jacob for a a bowl of stew, porridge. I don't care about the spiritual birthright. Esau despised the spiritual truth and counted it as worthless. There's a lot of people like that today. This is why in Malachi, people ask me this question, in Malachi chapter one, God says, was Esau not Jacob's brother? They were brothers. Yet Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Wow, why? Esau hated the spiritual truth. He didn't want it, didn't want anything to do with this God of heaven. But what happened was Esau coveted the covenant that Jacob had with God. That is still going on today. You still see this, the whole Mideast coveting this relationship that the Jews have with, with God. In fact, even in the Christian world, there are Christians that covet that relationship. Hence, you have the birth of replacement theology where you have theologians say, it's not true, the church has replaced Israel. Um, so you, you start looking at this, you're going, oh man, what a very dangerous place that we are. Okay, then you fast forward from there to uh, the 21st century. The war uh, between Esau or Israel and Edom continues. We read about it every day in the news. Uh, we have peace planners stumble over it. It's only a matter of time when the whole thing is going to come to a head. Look at this. This is also from All Israel News. Um, look at the top. It says, Abraham Accords, two-year anniversary. Wow, it has not gone well since the United States entered into that, has it? I mean, yeah, with Israel or, or, or engaged Israel in doing that. Now look at the article itself. While hosting reception for UAE's foreign minister, Israeli President Isaac Herzog announces he'll soon make historic visit to uh, first state visit to Bahrain. Okay, this is uh, Joel Rosenberg in this article that he wrote. So I, I look at this and I think okay, this, is, this is problematic because you start looking at the Abraham Accords, you start looking at all of the peace plans, and you realize biblically this is a really bad thing because this divides the land of Israel, divides the land of Jerusalem. This is not good, folks. And Joel, the Bible promises, God says, I will judge those who seek to divide my land. That's what we are seeking to do. The United States of America is seeking to do that. Over in Israel, they have leaders that are seeking to enter into these plans that, listen, they promise to be so good, but they're gonna bring destruction, their own destruction. And so this plan is coming with Antichrist at the helm, who's going to uh, be able to confirm this covenant. 
make us strong, at least make it appear to work for three and a half years. It's going to be a time of celebration for Israel. Um, and then, but it's also at that time when Israel starts to wake up. And they start to realize, wait a minute, this guy, that's when the 144,000 Jews are saved. You have the two prophets that are preaching the, the truth in Jerusalem. And Israel is waking up during that time. They're going, something is fishy with all of the stuff that's going on. So God says, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'll, I'll bless those who bless thee. I'll curse those who curse thee, right? You have Edom. Let's go back to the time of Edom and, and the Edomites. This problem. So when you, with, with that, you fast forward to where we are today, and we have all of these different things that are taking place. You get this, this fake peace plan. You have this from Isaiah, you start putting everything together. You go, well, wait a minute. In Isaiah chapter 28, Isaiah wrote, so this would have been a couple hundred years before Obadiah, but he wrote this. This also would have been a couple hundred years before Daniel, where Daniel wrote in Daniel chapter 9 about the confirmation of the covenant. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 14, Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men, you men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. So, God is now prophesying through Isaiah in chapter 28 of the time at the end when you have men who don't love the Lord, who are ruling Jerusalem, because you said we made a covenant with death and with Shul we are in agreement, when the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us. We have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. We've made lies our refuge. Um, we, we've taken, so you start looking at all the different peace agreements that are going on. We've made lies our refuge. Um, you, you think you're going to avoid the scourge. You're going to avoid something. So you enter into an agreement to avoid pain. This is what's going to happen, God says. Your covenant with death will be annulled. In other words, it's going to be broken. And your agreement with Shul will not stand when the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it. Wow. As often as it goes out, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass over. And by day and by night, it will be a terror just to understand the report. So you look at this and you start thinking, okay, Israel, I, I have a lot of Israeli friends and I ask them about the peace agreements they enter into. And they want peace at any cost. And unfortunately, the day is coming. You know, you go back to this last article you have right now. What do you have? You have the leaders in Israel that are saying, we want peace at any cost. We're in, we, we want to enter into an agreement. This is an agreement with the devil, according to Isaiah chapter 28, an agreement with Antichrist, according to Daniel chapter 9. I'm not saying the current Abraham Accords are that, but could they develop into that covenant? But this is what's happening when you have Esau and you start looking at the Esau, your brother, you know, you've, you've, you don't want the spiritual truth. You have literally, you've coveted the covenant that the Jews have with God. The Abraham, Isaac, Jacob covenant that the Jews have with God. You've coveted that. And therefore, I'm going to eliminate Israel. This is the whole concept, the whole spiritual concept that is behind, um, when you start looking at, again, replacement theology, you look at the, the, the things that are going on in the Mideast with Esau, Israel's brother, you start looking and you go, you know, I, I know this bothers people for me to say something like this, but when I see this, what the, what, what the Bible says, and you look into the lights of Obadiah, uh, Obadiah was rejoicing when Israel was destroyed by the Babylonians, and you fast forward, and then God says this in verse 15 of Obadiah, for the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. That projects us into the last days, the day of the Lord. That's what that is. It's no longer talking about Babylon destroying Judah and Esau looking down and, and, and Edom looking down and rejoicing over the destruction of the Jews. He projects us into the last days. The day of the Lord uh, is upon all nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. You seek to divide the land. You seek to trick Israel. Listen, when you go back to the tricks of Israel, like the covenant, uh, you think of the time with uh, uh, in Esther, 
with Haman. He he makes his own hanging things, right? He's going to put the Jews on the gallows. It all flips back on his head. God says here in Obadiah verse 15, your reap as it you have done, it shall be done to you. You made this plan, it's going to come back to haunt you. You came against my people because Obadiah is about coming against the nation of Israel and the Jewish people and rejoicing over it. It's all about their end. That covenant with Daniel chapter 9, the covenant of Isaiah 20, that is about Israel's end. That's what that's about. Antichrist, the devil, and all those who are jealous of the covenant that God has with Israel. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal, verse 15, shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. God says, I'm going to deal with this problem. So he actually projects us from the Babylonian time, uh, the time of Edom and Esau, all the way into the last days at the time of the end. Okay. Now think on this. When Israel became a nation in 1948, the surrounding Arab nations gathered together in war effort against the Jews returning to Israel as their homeland. So imagine the Holocaust is over. The Jews are told, okay, you can go back to the land of Israel. The Jews are allowed to go there, inhabit their land. Of course, it's called Palestine. Um, and the moment they... It's, it becomes official, the Islamic world that surrounds them seeks to eliminate them, annihilate them all. So Israel is attacked uh, with the thought to eliminate them within 24 hours of Israel being gaining its independence, being claimed as a nation again by the UN. The armies of Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq attacked Israel. It was a huge combined force. Israel doesn't have a military. The stories of how Israel won are absolutely um, miraculous. Maybe I can have David Tal or someone on sometime just to tell, you, tell us all about how things came about, just miraculous things, things that don't make any sense. It would be like going back to the days of Gideon when Gideon won these crazy wars against the Midianites, totally outnumbered. Israel's always been that way. David and Goliath, Samson, Gideon, you start looking through the Bible, this has been Israel's existence. Tiny nation of Israel, they don't even have, I mean, they're military. I mean, you look and it's virtually non-existent. They're trying to put things together. How, I mean, they were protecting themselves against people who were attacking them before them. They weren't ready for this. So they're attacked by this well-coordinated uh, military and they virtually had no chance of survival. Essentially, the warring nations that came against Israel instructed the Arabs residing in Israel at the time. Now, this is how we come to the Palestinian problem today, okay? Essentially, the warring nations that came against Israel instructed the Arabs residing in Israel at that time to vacate temporarily. Once they eradicated the Jews and destroyed the Jewish nation, they could then return to the land and it would be there. So you guys all leave Israel. This is what we're going to do. They're telling the Arabs living in there. This is what we're going to do in the land of Israel. Leave there. We'll eliminate them. Then you guys can go back there. Didn't work out that way. These nations that attacked Israel, they lost. These Arabs that vacated the land, suddenly they didn't have a, they didn't have a land anymore. Well, that was a huge problem. Uh, among those Arabs, as Bill Salas points out, who attacked Israel in 1948, were descendants who, excuse me, who inhabited Israel, not attacked, who inhabited Israel in 1948 were the descendants of Esau and the Edomites. So you look at, I mean, you just look at Obadiah, you start putting things together, and you go, this is amazing. The Jews, here's the problem, the Jews defeated the Arab nations and then the Arabs living in Israel, now known as Palestinians, could not go back into Israel. Now, Worse than that, their own Arab brothers who promised the land and promised victory over the Jews would not allow them to come into their own Arab nations. So what are they known as? Um, the Palestinian refugees. So the Arabs lost the war. 
And the Arabs who lost the war said, you guys aren't welcome in our home, even though some are Jordanians, some are Egyptians, some are Syrians, and so forth. It's remarkable. So they're now labeled as Palestinian refugees, not because of the Jews, but because their own Arab brothers would not allow them back into the land. I find it interesting. All of God's prophecy is 100% accurate. I wanted to go into another direction for uh, the last 15 minutes today, but I'm not going to be able to. I wanted to take you on a little bit of a history course of the nation of Israel, because I find it absolutely fascinating, and it gives us an understanding of the Bible that makes it huge when it comes to Bible prophecy and having confidence that all of God's word is true. But I want you to think of this also. Israel is the bullseye. Um, uh, this is uh, credit from ACLJ. I want to make sure I credit that picture. I did not make that. I got that from ACLJ.org. Uh, um, but Israel's the bullseye, Jerusalem specifically. And it's a spiritual battle. It was a spiritual battle back in the days of Obadiah. It was a spiritual battle back when, when, when God first calls out the people of Abram. He calls out Abram, makes a people. That's what he did. He made a race out of Abram. Um, you, you follow the whole process. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you follow the circumcision. You follow the whole thing. And that's what you have. Satan has had his target on anybody that the Messiah might come through since the Garden of Eden. But then you fast forward from the Garden of Eden, and then a people are brought out, a specific people, uh, uh, the Jews from Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. So then Satan has his target, aha, the Jewish people. Uh, and then you have the land of Israel, as we're given the land of Israel, and you start following it all the way through. And you go, wow, and you follow it through to where we are today. The, the, the Edomites, the Palestinian problem, the peace plan, and you see everything coming together exactly as the Bible says it will come together. Listen, I want to get into the history next time. But, uh, but this time what I want to do right now, because I don't have a lot of time left, is just get into your questions. So if you have questions you could send me, send them on in. That would be great. Uh, Doug Bell says here, the church is the holy city and will be targeted. Well, Doug, I don't see how the church is the holy city. Uh, Jerusalem is the holy city. In fact, in Daniel, Daniel's very specific. Uh, in fact, when you speak of the holy city, uh, go ahead and send in your questions. Matthew, if you could pull those up on the monitor, that would be great so I could see them. In Daniel chapter 9, speaking of the holy city, um, God says this, when Daniel has this dream, he's, he has these visions going on. In Daniel chapter 9, uh, the Bible says this, uh, Daniel, I have now, or the Bible tells Daniel in verse 22 of chapter 9, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. And then God says this. If you can hold it there, I want to get to that uh, question in just a second from Cindy Freshwater. I'll get to that in just a second, Cindy, and then the one above it. Um, Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your holy people and your holy city. What for? To finish the transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal a vision of prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. All right, so what's the holy city? The holy city is Jerusalem. It tells us here, for your people and your holy city. Who's Daniel. The church didn't even exist at the time of Daniel. This is, listen, repl replacement theology is a lie of the devil. And um, so your people is the Jewish people. The, your holy city, that's the city of Jerusalem. And what is this? It's about anointing the most holy. The Messiah is going to come back. Jesus is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. Hence, it's the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year tribulation period. All right, next question. Okay, this is from Cindy uh, which tribulation is Matthew talking about in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29? Well, let's go over here. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. Bible says this, Jesus speaking. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven uh, with power and great glory. Wow. And then it goes on to the conclusion that leads us into the millennial kingdom. So what is the tribulation of Matthew chapter 24, verse 29? That is speaking of the end. So the Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke chapter 21, it's the Olivet Discourse. Primarily what Jesus is doing is he's talking about the second half of the tribulation period. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, you can really easily define it in verse 15, because at the midpoint of the tribulation, you have the abomination of desolation. Uh, Jesus says Daniel wrote about it, 2 Thessalonians, Paul wrote about it, and it's a time when Antichrist sits in the temple and demands to be worshiped as God. So that's the abomination of desolation. That takes place at the midpoint of the tribulation period. We know that from reading the book of Revelation also, and we, uh, when the Antichrist is promoted as the one to be worshiped and to receive the mark of the beast. So the, all of the discourse is primarily talking about the, the um, second half of the tribulation period. When you get to the very end of the tribulation period, it's all over. And uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, 30, and 31 are all talking about uh, when you get to the very end of it all, because he says, then you're going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great glory. Um, Luke chapter 21, Jesus is saying the same thing. In fact, in Luke chapter 21, let me turn over there, Jesus says this, and there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and waves roaring. Men's hearts will fail them from the fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So that gives us a synopsis of the tribulation period, perplexity, nations are perplexed, they don't know what in the world's going on, everything is falling apart, you have all these different signs that are taking place, people are having heart attacks because they're so afraid of the things that are coming on the planet. Listen, we're already entering into that age, and then Jesus said this, to match the words of Matthew 24, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When does that happen? That happens at the end of the tribulation period. So at the rapture, we go up, right? Not every eye is going to see Jesus at the rapture. We're going to go up if you're a believer in Christ. At the second coming, every eye will see Jesus Christ. In fact, you also have the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 12 that fits in with that passage in Matthew 24, verse 29, 30, 31, and also here with Luke 21, when every eye will see him in Zechariah, uh, the Bible tells us that they will look upon him whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. Here's what happens. In fact, this is what I want to get to two weeks from tonight, is going into Israel's history, a launch from the end of Obadiah. The end of Obadiah is about Jesus coming back and starting the millennial kingdom. That's how Obadiah concludes. So I want to go into Israel's history and then Israel's future because what happens is Israel's going to get to a place in Matthew 23, Jesus said to the religious leaders, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, you'll see me, but it's when you say Hosanna. They didn't say Hosanna. They didn't say blessed is he who comes in the Lord. They didn't recognize him as, as Messiah. They didn't say, Lord, save us now, which is what Hosanna literally means. They didn't say that when he came the first time. In fact, they said, if you don't tell your people to, to shut their mouths when they're saying Hosanna, Jesus said, tell, they said, tell your people to shut their mouths. Jesus said, if I say that, the rocks will cry out. But Jesus said at the end, you, you guys, what the, the Jews will say is what Jesus is saying. Then, so at the end of the tribulation period, just before Jesus comes back, the Jews are going to be crying out, Lord, save us now. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. At that moment, Jesus is coming out of the sky on that white horse of Revelation 19, and we are coming with him. So that's what the fulfillment of Matthew 24, verse 29, 30, 31, Luke chapter 21, when every eye will see him. And then Luke went on to quote Jesus' words where Jesus said, uh, when you see these things begin to take place, look up and lift up your head because your redemption draws near. So we're watching them in the beginning stages. In the tribulation period, that's when you're really going to see everything come together. People who are alive during that time, and they have the word, and there's many people that are going to be saved. 
the Jewish nation is going to wake up and many Gentiles are going to be saved at that time too. They're going to know there's great deception. Listen, this is another reason to tell people about Jesus. And if you're someone who preps, I've said this a hundred times here, if you're someone who's a prepper, you got food stashed away, hey, put the gospel in there, put messages about the last days in there, because there's probably people that are going to come and get your food, and, um, and they're going to get the gospel, and they're going to be able to figure out what's going on, possibly because you left them the truth behind, that they would find it and go, oh my, um, that crazy Christian was telling me about this, and now they have this all lined out. Now I know what's really going on. And uh, so, we, you know, as we look forward, we want to make sure we tell people about Jesus because there could be many people that are going to come to faith in Christ during the tribulation period. All right, next question. Uh, let's see. Uh, question, do you think, this is from Reba Blackley, do you think Syria might be destroyed in the tribulation when everything blows up here on earth? I think Syria will be uh, done uh, before then. I, I, I believe a little bit different than Andy Woods. I believe the Damascus chapter, the Isaiah chapter 17, destruction of Damascus is in the not too distant future and um, Syria will be done then in this sense. But at the same time, we also know this from Isaiah chapter 19, that when Jesus returns, this is what's going to happen. Egypt, Assyria, which will compromise part of Syria, part of Iraq and so forth, they are going to worship the Lord God of heaven. They're going to worship Yeshua. They're going to speak the Hebrew language. We know that from what Isaiah chapter 19 says. So that day is coming when there's going to be a great turning to the Lord, even in that time, and the Bible says because of their oppressors. So fascinating days. I don't think Syria is, and by the way, everything's not going to blow up here on earth. Um, uh, Reba, it's, it's, that's not, you know, when you read the tribulation period, there's all kinds of destruction that happens, but not everything is going to blow up. Oh, it's going to be a mess, but not everything is going to blow up. And, um, and in fact, Israel's never going to blow up. There's going to be the attempts to blow up Israel. Uh, there could be a big, a big blow up that they have that destroys, we know from Zechariah chapter 14, two-thirds of the Jews. That could happen, but Israel's always going to exist. Jerusalem's always going to exist. The Jewish people are always going to exist. Shelly, question, I know Prince Charles, you mean King Charles, Shelly, uh, has globalist stances, but how much power does he really have? I don't think he has that much power myself. I get so many people that tell me he's the Antichrist. I don't think he's the Antichrist. Nobody even likes the guy. Okay, Pookie, uh, question, has the five red heifers and everything else you, Tom, John, JD, Billy, Brandon spoke of today is speeding things up? I tell you what, Pookie, I'm going to be talking about that on a midweek this week. I just find it fascinating. And I think this is one of the reasons why I really uh, find it fascinating is that everything is racing there. I mean, I will, okay, I'm watching one of the videos. It was done with a cell phone. You could tell because it was a vertical photo. Not a person didn't hold their phone horizontally. It hold it vertically. But I'm watching it of... The red heifers at the Bigorian Airport. And I watched the whole thing. It was about a 30-minute video, and I found it so fascinating. I was, I was thinking, what if I was there at the Bigorian Airport? I think that the heifers arrived there a couple days ago, and I was thinking, what if I was there? That would be such a trip if I was there, like with some of you guys. And we're over there at the airport talking and going, "Do you realize that one of these? Because it's only going to be one. It's not going to be more than one. That one of these five red heifers could be that one that is used." in the temple purposes. If it is, like I said, I've been following this for years. Chuck Missler back in the 1990s, every red heifer that came along had a blemish and got too many white hairs or whatever. So it's interesting to watch, but everything is coming together. I'll tell you this much, if one of them is it, I think, you know, I'll, I'll go to more details. Wednesday, I don't want to give away too much right now. Man, we must be close. We, we must be so close. Question, so Pookie, that's going to be this week. Uh, Linda says, what is the overflowing scourge of Isaiah chapter 28? <clears throat> I've had that conversation with many people asking, I don't know. What is, exactly what is it? It is a, th the only thing we can tell is some kind of threat that's coming to Israel. Israel, the, the leaders of Israel believe they're going to avoid the scourge coming against them by entering into an agreement. Okay, so it can't be a virus because you can't enter into a virus to um, keep off a scourge, right? 
It could be another type of agreement that they enter into, thinking if I enter into this agreement, it'll keep the scourge from coming against us. It could be uh, some kind of threat from globalists, uh, and the globe saying, okay, what if it's the green policies? Where they see it, the leaders know this is a really bad thing, these green policies. We can't look, it's destroyed Ecuador, it's destroyed Sri Lanka. You look at what's going on with Canada and Netherlands, the threats coming to the United States because of these green policies, the ESGs. Could it be that and saying, okay, we're not gonna have to enter into that, we're gonna avoid it by entering this agreement so we can be self-sustaining? I, I, I doubt that's what it is. Um, but I don't know what the scourge is. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll ask one of my guests that I have on within the next week what they think the scourge is, because it's fascinating. But it's something that Israel's leaders do, but God says you're entering into a covenant with the devil when you enter into this with Shul, thinking you're going to avoid the scourge, you're not gonna avoid it. God says, I'm going to annul that covenant. The covenant's gonna be no good. You're not gonna avoid it. In fact, great pain is gonna come your way. It sure fits with uh, Daniel chapter nine and the confirmation of the covenant. Listen, I'm out of time. I've actually gone a minute over. Okay, just a reminder on the app, um, download it, it's free. And, and if I get knocked off on YouTube and or Facebook, I'll be on the app, and the app is also gonna have all these other places, including Roku and others, so, you, so you'll be able to watch it on your TV. Um, so listen, if for some reason I get lost on here, make sure that you go to the app, and again, the app is free. God bless you guys. I'll see you tomorrow. Hopefully, I'll be with Lee Brainerd, and I've uh, got a lot of questions for him. It's gonna be a terrific program. Shalom. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.